Welcome back to the Alex Garib Podcasting, another day here, and um, a couple of things. First of all, to those sailors, our U.S. sailors, involved in an unidentified explosion, that is what CNN is calling it, an explosion, on the USS Bonham Richard in San Diego, to those who had to be evacuated, to those affected, to those injured, to the personnel of our USS Richard. May God be with you right now. May we send our prayers to you right now. May we figure out why a USS uh, naval ship of the U.S. Navy is in smoldering smoke right now that is pluming over San Diego, the city itself. We'll have to see what happens, but right now, prayers for those injured. It's horrible to see. It's horrible uh, to even talk about right now. And it's, you know, just what 2020 needed, right? An explosion on one of our USS Naval ships on our screen. Horrible. And then we've still got the COVID crisis. Florida hitting a high again today. And then... And then in New York, we're seeing skyrocketing shootings, 15 hours, 15 shootings. And by the way, the marina in Queens by the World's Fair Marina, right on the water next to LaGuardia. So we have to have our city under control. We have to figure out why this explosion happened. We have to also figure out how we can contain this virus. The U.S. Surgeon General now saying that it could be reversed in two to three weeks if we play it right. Here in New York, we've got, according to the New York City patch, is Jay Varma, and Varma is saying, and Dr. Varma, by the way, is the Deputy Commissioner for Disease Control in the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. And he says, herd immunity hasn't been achieved yet here in New York, but Basically, the vast majority of New Yorkers actually weren't infected. Most likely explanations for our current situation, which is lowered rates, are, as Mayor de Blasio pointed out, the combination of our defense strategy, physical distancing, wearing face covers, good hygiene, and the offensive strategy, which is increase in testing going on that's tied to identifying contacts and safely separating cases with contacts. That's from Dr. Joseph Varma here in New York City. And so I hope those that witnessed a a cop getting headlocked and cheered, I hope they face social distancing uh, fines at the same time. I think we got to do all we can. And maybe not cheering on a cop being being headlocked is a start um, to regaining the city back once and for all. But all the things I just mentioned is a reason... Why Mount Rushmore speech or whatever, what do you think of the speech of itself, whatever, Mount Rushmore itself, the fireworks display atop our founding fathers and Abe Lincoln the night before our Declaration of Independence was honored, the night before Independence Day. It's why that felt so special, because we are in a time of crises. Right now, bottom line. We um, we need some hope, and the hope right now is instilled, and still is, from the Mount Rushmore fireworks display. I thought that display was very patriotic. I thought it was what, what America needed right now to see 
as was Empire State Building. But someone who was around Mount Rushmore, in fact, in the same plane as President Trump on his way to Rushmore, was David Allen Arnold. David, thank you for joining my Sunday pod today. Hello, Alex. It's good to be on with you again. It is. Now, you have had, and I played uh, something by a guy named uh, Chris Hagan, Go On The Go. You were on the go with the president this past week at Mount Rushmore. You detailed it on Facebook, but if you haven't podcasted about it yet, feel free to tell us your story. You were a thousand feet away from President Trump. Is that correct? I was. Um, I have flown over, in 25 years of flying cameras, I have flown over three different presidents. But this is the first time that I've ever been in an aircraft flying with the president when he's in Air Force One and Marine One. And uh, it was an awesome experience. I can only imagine. Uh, What was he like in in Air Force One? Obviously, you didn't talk to him, but you could see his mannerisms. What was he like about to do this huge event? Um, my experience of President Trump is that he is a consummate showman. Um, people probably have forgotten, uh, but I haven't. Before he was president, President Trump was an executive producer mm-hmm. of one of the top-rated NBC primetime shows for 12 years. And so I, my experience of being at one of his events is that he brings that level of entertainment mm-hmm to everything he does and uh, just my personal opinion. I think that's why he's on the front page of every newspaper. It's why he's in every 24 hour uh, news broadcast is well, because David, let's, no, let's talk about that for a minute. He, it, there, there's no uh, doubt why he's president, right? The medium gave all this coverage to begin with. Yeah, it's true. And, and so uh, having now flown with him at one of his events, uh, I was just really struck by how well uh, put together everything is. And uh, when Air Force One uh, came in and flew uh, around the monuments at uh, uh, Mount Rushmore, uh, the airplane went around twice. We got two really good looks at it on live TV. And I know a lot of the networks were feeding that footage uh, mm-hmm. because his they knew he was going to give a speech there. and uh, And so then... He uh, got into his helicopter so that he could actually fly and land at the monument. Mm. And before he landed, he flew around the Mount Rushmore monuments, but then also went to Crazy Horse, which which for us was about 10 minutes away. Uh, So he flew a distance over there so he could see the Crazy Horse monument under construction and uh, and then come in and land. That Crazy Horse is based with Teddy Roosevelt, isn't it? Or am I got my history wrong there? Uh, it's a monument to Crazy Horse. So it's similar to Mount Rushmore that's being uh, built uh, as we speak. And so he went with Marine One. He flew around it to take a look at it. And uh, it's just really cool. And and so to watch all of the uh, how it works when he lands his helicopter, how the Marines greet him, how the Secret Service moves in with his motorcade, mm-hmm. it was just so cool to witness that from uh, our airplane, which was circling uh, at that time, about 2,000 feet above him. And uh, just just really cool to witness all that. So you were not on the ground with him at Mount Rushmore, or were you? No. You were in the air. No, I, I, I never went uh, to Mount Rushmore on the ground uh, for a week leading up to the event. We had meetings with uh, all of the aircraft 
pilots because the Blue Angels flew there. They had B-1 bombers. They had Black Hawk helicopters. They had Air Force One. They had Marine One. So all of these different um, pilots and organizations would be in these meetings. And uh, it was just a re- really cool thing. It's it's not every day you get to be in a no. in a me- meeting like, like you and I are having, but except instead of me and you, it's the pilots of the Blue Angels. It's the pilots of Air Force One, it's the Secret Service, the pilots of Marine One. Just just really amazing to be around the caliber of people who make all of those things happen. David, I know that you had gone under scrutiny and extensive prep for this. Tell us what it was like dealing with Secret Service, knowing that you be a thousand feet away from our president. Well, I've I've dealt with Secret Service uh, several times before. And uh, this is the most time that I've spent around the president. So we got a lot more of the Secret Service. But as you can imagine, they do a very extensive background check. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of pre-planning that goes into an event like that. And the Secret Service had an armed agent with us the entire time we were around the president. So the only way that we can get permission to fly around the president is we have to have an armed agent with us. Hey, uh, did he shoot you a glance at all? Did he look back in the cabin and say, and and either wave or something? Well, they, like I said, they, they did a lot of checking before we ever got there. So by the time I get into the aircraft, they have, you know, checked my background and, uh, they know who I am, and if I pose a security risk uh, during the event, the Secret Service guys are just cool to be around because they're always around the president, mm-hmm. and they know a lot about how he travels, and they know how the security it, you know works. It, it's mm-hmm. just it's a really cool thing just to talk to them and have them on board. And our our Secret Service agent was a huge help to us because, um. We had to find the Marine One helicopter flying through a forest to get to Mount Rushmore. So we're looking for a little tiny helicopter flying in this giant, you know, mass of trees. Mm-hmm. And our Secret Service agent uh, saw wow. him from a great distance. So, so all of and he was a senior agent. So all of his years of training to to find you know threats in a crowd, how to identify, sure. how to see movement. Uh, you know, it was really cool to watch how he basically he found the uh, Marine One helicopter for us flying through the forest. And he also found the Blue Angels because the Blue Angels uh, flew over Mount Rushmore just before, before the event, I guess. Yeah, before President Trump's speech. Wow. And so, um, you know, we have to find these fighter jets, which which are coming from, you know, 10 or 20 miles away. And the Secret Service agent was the, was the one who who found wow. them. Uh, coming at us and and really really helped us a lot so he didn't really look back at you though you were kind of separated from him even though you were three like were you in well he's we're we're not allowed to fly over the president unless he's there so it's just a standard protocol i i don't think he he didn't treat me as suspicious that i could tell uh but but that's that's how that's how we get into the circle were you in the same plane with him though? That was the impression I got that you were literally in the same. Yeah. Plane he's, he's in our aircraft. Wow. That's how did you guys link up with uh, the white house to make this gig happen for you? Um, you know, I, I think it was, um, probably just the, the people who produced the television coverage of the speech mm-hmm. and of the event that, uh, contacted the company that I work with. 
and then they chose me to go and, and fly in the airplane uh, and do the filming. And um, it was just a great honor. I mean, it's a, it's a once in a lifetime thing to be that close to the president and the way sure. that we were. And I've, I've flown over three presidents, but this is, a, this is the first and only time that I've flown with them for half an hour as he wow. moves from one aircraft to the next. David, you know, I got to uh, quickly tell a story. So the night, the day we met President Clinton, my dad and I met President Clinton, they had to get us, and I was about eight or nine years old. They still had to get me checked. They had to get my dad checked by the Secret Service, by the cathedral. And yet that moment happened. So I know exactly what you're talking about uh, when you're dealing with them. And the Secret Service all have always been nice to my dad and I. And, you know, we got to thank them. They've been around for a long time. That's so cool. In and of itself. Uh, David, you're an Emmy Award-winning cinematographer, but I get the feeling well, all, all those awards doesn't top what you just witnessed on, on July 3rd, the day before Independence Day. Oh, I, I loved it. I, I was like a kid at Christmas. It was just such a neat thing to be involved with. But um, but tell people the story of your meeting with uh, President Clinton, because I've seen pictures of that, but I've never heard the story of how it happened or what you guys huh. talked about or what the deal was. Sure. Well, really quickly, I ended up we knew Cardinal O'Connor from when I was a little kid. I think you've seen pictures, like, when I was really little. 1998 yep. comes around. He says, hey, he started to get sick in 98. Says, hey, can you pray for me? I think it was 98, maybe 99. Uh, can you pray for me? He gives me his rosary. I start praying. You know, I have the rosary. My dad has it. Then we saw him one more time up in the Bronx, Cardinal O'Connor, uh, at a something like a Little Sister for the Poor kind of event. And uh, it was it was up in the Bronx. It was an amazing hot day. And he said hello. And then when he passed away, we heard about it, obviously. We wandered to the cathedral. They had told us to come in. We got cleared by the Secret Service, the cathedral. I was a little tired because I was about eight or nine. So literally, New York One has the camera on me sleeping during the service, the, the, the actual ceremony of the funeral. But then when it came for the peace, I literally looked over to Bill Clinton, the president of the United States at the time. I, you know, wished him a peace. He waved back. After the funeral, after they took his casket, Cardinal's casket, downstairs to the vault, Clinton walks around the pew. And he literally walks up to me and says, hey, how are you, buddy? And we took these pictures, and it just became history. It became newspaper. The funny thing, though, is I remember him saying, how are you, bud? I don't really remember getting the picture taken. I just remember that moment. But then I remember getting all these questions outside of St. Patrick's Cathedral on the steps, running back and forth. Hey, Pop, they want to interview me. Can I go? He's like, yeah, go. And so I, I'm on all these networks. And um, then I get back into regular life. And regular life that day on May 8th, 2000, 2000 was quite incredible. I used to hang out with a friend of mine who was a skateboarder. I started rollerblading at the time. He and his family see me on Fox 5, and they're like, yeah, we saw you at the Cardinal's funeral. I kind of shook it off because I want to go back into being a kid. You know, I'm eight years old. I still want to have a kid life. And then my mom, that night, gets calls from UPN, my nine now here in New York, and um, CBS 2, Vince Dimitri. So I'm in the hall, lobby in my apartment doing interviews about President Clinton hugging me. So this was that was my day. And... Um, as you know, I also know President Trump before he was President Trump. Oh, you, you know, did? What, yeah. Well, Regis oh. Philbin and Regis, Regis Philbin and, and Donald Trump would actually be up in George Steinbrenner's suite for multiple games, playoff games. 
Trump takes this picture of Regis Philbin and I, and it ends up on Regis's show the next day because you know he's like Trump took this terrible picture. It looks awkward. How can you take? He just starts going off on Trump. It was hilarious. You can find this video on Instagram, by the way, Alex G in NYC. Oh, I ne- I never knew that story. And uh, so I knew him there. And then President Trump, when he had Barron, actually was in the suite a few days after this ha- his birth, happy as a father. You know, a newborn born and he has happy as a father new father he puts out our hand, his hand to shake my hand and my dad's hand with this huge smile and i just knew president trump was 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 kind of not who they portray him to be on the media just by those experiences and i know you've been a fighter for him so I have to believe your hard work in fighting for him got you on that plane this past week. I've got to believe it. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, I, I don't really think, you know, people probably think I'm politically opinionated. Mm-hmm. I don't really think one way or another about any of the presidents. I, I imagine that if I got to meet President Obama or President Clinton or President Trump, that they would just be awesome to talk to. Right. So what, what, what was Bill Clinton like to talk to when he was president? I don't know. I was eight year, nine years old, and there's and there's another there's another story to this, which I don't know if many people know. Two thousand one happens, nine eleven. My birthday, October twentieth, two thousand one. There's a playoff game up in Yankee Stadium. Five days earlier, George Steinbrenner says, uh, owner of the Yankees, George Steinbrenner says, you know, because I mentioned him, I was a little kid. I said, listen, Mister S, my birthday's coming up on October twentieth. We were going to play the Mariners, and we do. He says, all right, we'll have a birthday cake ready for you. Sure enough, third inning comes around. I go upstairs with my dad. A birthday wow. cake is waiting for me from George Steinbrenner, the owner of oh the Yankees. Oh, my goodness. Who's won all these World Series, and yet he took the time to give me a cake. And, that's uh, the best was, thing I've heard all day. I love that story. It was his birthday, actually, on July 4th, and um, I recanted some of these, recalled some of these stories on my podcast on Saturday, which you could check out. But you wouldn't believe it. Who comes in on October 20th, because the Freedom Concert was at Madison Square Garden that night, but Bill Clinton. And he walks right up to me again. He, like, remember, we remembered each other from, like, a year and wow. a half earlier. So that was a, a little extension of what happened at the Cardinals' funeral. So Yeah, but that's, that's pretty cool that he remembered you, because he meets a lot of people. He did. And, um, you know, it was a moment that – and then in 2008, for all the grief we give Hillary – when she became Secretary of State, she actually helped open up the Cathedral St. John the Divine. I don't know if you remember, but they had a fire uh, in St. John the Divine. On no, I Christmas. didn't know that. Actually, this was crazy. Christmas 2001, they have this fire. It takes about seven years for them to rebuild. They have partitioned off part of the cathedral to keep working on it every Easter to the point where you'd have to listen to service on a speaker on Easter Sunday. This was true. Well, the grand reopening of the cathedral, Hillary Clinton's there. She just became Secretary of State. I walk up to her and congratulate her because I'm, you know, they were nice to us and I wanted to be nice. Now, I would be nice to anybody. You know, I agree with you. Obama probably is a good guy. Clinton was a good guy. All these Democratic uh, presidents probably were good people. and, And I just wish people would think Trump's a good person, just like we give Democratic leadership the benefit of a doubt of being a good person in person you know what i mean but yeah but i sense we don't see the trump given that benefit of doubt which is which is terrible in my opinion um but no hillary was very gracious she she gave me this huge smile and so 
I have the connection with the Clintons, and I think that's why it's very surprising, even to me to this day, that I don't go the Clinton way, but I've kind of grown up, and I know um, they would not be, just like Biden would not be the best answer right now. Well, what what was Hillary like to talk to? Very cordial. She did her usual laugh, you know, her fun laugh, and um, she just, she was very cordial. In fact, let me see if I can pull this up. Uh, this was This was incredible, because... I'm sure you've seen these pictures before. It's just, it's amazing every time I still see them how impactful they feel to me. Uh, let's see what we got. But there's a picture of her leaning in front of, here we go. This picture of her literally <laughs> leaning in front of me. Um, oh, I guess I could share it this way. Hold on. Uh, literally leaning in front of me. And it says, and that's her, Hillary Clinton, leaning in front of me. Uh, for those oh, my the goodness. I love hello. it. In 2008. That is so, so cool. Uh, 2000, sorry. So, there you wow. go. Wow. And, um, hold on a second. What happened here? And I, so, no, yeah. I've never seen that picture. I love that picture. That's so, awesome. So, there you go, uh, David. It's been quite a, a life and quite um quite a career, really, on uh, on all this. So, I'm glad that I was able to share that with you. Tonight. Well, you you might be the only person I know that's that's talked to that many presidents. That's huh. really cool. So, um, let's get back to you. So, do you stay? Did you stay at the ceremony at Mount Rushmore, or did you Mount Rushmore? Did you cover the fireworks overview? What was your role after the speech? No, because the fireworks were an hour after we stopped flying, okay. and the plan was. Um, Throughout the week, you know, we kept having the meetings with the Blue Angels, with the sure. pilots of Air Force One. And the, the plan was for all of the aircraft, including us, to depart at about 830. Okay. Uh, and that's about an hour before uh, the fireworks. However, it, it's not too unusual because, uh, you know, they when they start giving speeches after yeah. President Trump lands at the monument, they may not want our airplane flying over his head the whole time. So sure. it kind of made sense that they would bring us back too. And so about an hour later, you know, just after dark uh, was when the fireworks started. So we were driving from Rapid City Airport back to our hotel and we could see the fireworks erupting over Mount Rushmore. What's wow. cool about that is they haven't had fireworks at Mount Rushmore in 10 years. I heard some about that and because they were going to have – it was like a tradition for a long time, wasn't it? It was, and they, they had to stop doing it because they had a drought, and um, oh. they were having fire. It was too much of a fire danger. So this 4th of July uh, with President Trump was the first time that they had done fireworks there in 10 years. And so all of the people who lived there knew about it. They were excited to see the fireworks again, and it, it was a really cool thing. Great crowd, by the way. Now, I know some thought, well, this was a dark speech, but I just thought it was an American speech that we needed to hear the night before our birthday. And I think we can both agree this president knows his history better than a lot of presidents I've, I've noticed. Well, I, you know, I, I don't have a real huge opinion uh, up or down for President Trump. I, I can see why he's in the news every single day. Mm -hmm. I can see how he won the presidency without the support of the Republican Party right, <laughs> or the right. media. Uh, you know, he's, he's just that charismatic. And, 
And I, I honestly think it's all his years of uh, being in the entertainment business as a producer and as a performer that really prepared him to take over the White House. Right. Uh, and and, and uh, it's what's impressive to me is how he communicates directly to the people because the media, you know, the the joke is if uh, if Donald Trump walks on water if you if if Donald Trump walks on water the next day the New York Times will have a headline front page uh, President Trump can't swim <laughs> you know <laughs> you know and and so it's impressive how he connects to the people around the media and just bypasses the media to, to get his message out and uh, and it, it's we're talking with you know, uh, David. We're talking with David Arnold, airborne camera. We've known each other now. It feels like forever, but it's really been like two two years already, I think, at least two, uh, since I met you at the Publicity Summit. And um, you've been awfully busy, and I know you don't have sports to really fly around right now, but I'm sure this event on July 3rd was, was making up for all of that missed time. I, I loved it, and like I said, I, I don't think I've ever watched a Donald Trump speech from start to finish. Uh, however, I will say this, uh, you and I are both on Twitter yes. and I'm on Twitter because Trump is on Twitter. Like I literally created a Twitter account just so I could read what he's saying <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> David, do you think he'll ever leave it? Do you think there's going to be some pressure that do you think he's going to feel some, some angst with Twitter to the point where he leaves it or does he stay on there as long as he can? Um, I think that. Trump tends to be about three steps ahead of the media and even social media companies. And so I think he can do anything he wants to if if he I mean, obviously, I'm on Twitter because of Trump. So if if Trump said on one of his tweets, hey, I'm I'm leaving Twitter and I'm going to go over to a brand new social ah, media platform. Yep. Yeah. I would sign up right away and I, I would, uh, I'd still use Twitter. I, I like Twitter. It's awesome. But I, I would definitely go wherever he was so I could still get his 3 a.m. Sure. <laughs> well, and they are quite something sometimes, to be honest with you. Uh, today was a win. Uh, well, I guess yesterday, because I'm airing this on Friday, is a win because it lets the state deal with his tax returns, right? So the SCOTUS makes this big decision. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on it, but the point of the matter is, they're not putting it into congressional hands right away. And I think that's a win because states' rights should win out in something like this. I haven't really been following it. Um, I saw that that was in the news, that they were deciding what to do with the uh, the Congress trying to get his tax returns. And, right. um, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think th- – here's what I find, and I, and I think this is uh, the most humorous thing for me about Donald Trump. Whether you love him or hate him, uh, you have to appreciate that people who mess with him always end up suffering. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's a comical thing to watch people like try to uh, attack him for impeach, try to impeach him or try to right. get his tax returns. Because I find that it's almost like uh, uh, an old Warner brothers cartoon. It's, <laughs> it's like, it's like, well, like the road runner. And yeah, the road runner. yep, yep, yep. And, and it's it's almost like the coyotes never learn not to, to just just <laughs> yeah. give it a rest, just give it up. You know, they, but they can't. Just keep I swear trying. to God, they literally are searching every day for something. It seems like, and I don't remember this kind of searching going on in other presidencies. That's for sure. Oh, I don't. I don't know that it's ever been done before. Um, and 
I don't really feel any sympathy for Donald Trump because um, he doesn't seem to suffer from it. No, I he mean, doesn't. It, it's it's almost like if if you attack him, if you try to steal his mm-hmm. uh, tax records, if you write an unauthorized book about him or. <laughs> Or anything like that, or you know, like Stormy Daniels, you know, yeah. got two hours on CBS to tell her story. Yeah, and it's like every time Trump just uses it to his advantage, and it and it he he uses it in a way that puts the spotlight on him. Yeah, no, <laughs> you, you know, know and, and so well, and I, I, you, I don't you feel read. bad for him. I I think he's he's uh, I think he's been winning. You know, even through the impeachment, he was winning. I think he's more popular today than he mm-hmm. was before impeachment. And it's because of the impeachment. David, I think you also resonate with him because you feel like you I mean, you do have this showman look. You've got the Indiana Jones look everywhere you go. And we've talked about it before. The hat, the out, the the get up. I mean, you've really embraced that. That is your signature image. Well, I, I definitely can understand how Trump uses even bad press to his advantage and, um, you know, uh, on my Facebook, I love to post political questions mm-hmm. of whatever Trump is doing, or, I mean, one, one of my, I, uh, two, let's see, it was 2017 Trump had been in office for a year and I put a picture of president Trump on my Facebook and I just wrote underneath it is Trump the best TV president ever or what? <laughs> and, uh, Three a year later, people were still writing Commenting. comments on that picture, and the last time I looked at it, it had three thousand comments. And um, so, I definitely, I guess, uh, in a little bit of the way Trump does, I don't fear controversy. No, uh, I'm, I'm happy to talk about any topic that interests me, and I love to bring up topics like President Trump that people are very emotional about. Mm-hmm. And like I said it might surprise you to learn. I don't have a huge opinion of him up or down, but I love to hear what people think. And I love the fact that Trump gets people excited either in a good or a bad way. He gets people so energized to get involved. And in the case of Facebook to write a comment and then to write another comment. (laughs) Uh, And so I, I, I like stuff like that that gets people talking and, you know, kind of gets their juices flowing. David, your your home state, California, seemed to be maybe veering into the red because I saw all these fireworks going off in L.A. this past weekend, and people use that as a sign that maybe California is going to go red. Is that a possibility with everything going on this year? I think I think California going red is inevitable. Um, it might be unthinkable today because it's been so blue for so long, but as the Democrat leadership of California does crazier and crazier and crazier things that cause people to suffer. Mm -hmm. I think they make it inevitable that there will be a huge shift uh, away from them. Uh, And just for an example is the coronavirus. We've had very few coronavirus deaths in California. And yet for three months, the governor of California has kept 40 million people locked down, unable Mm -hmm. to go to work, Basically, it's it's a government-imposed economic depression that affects everyone. E- yeah. Even the so-called essential people suffer because if you work for Los Angeles or if you work for a county, 
uh, where taxpayers are have not been allowed to work for three months. There's no money for the for the county budget in the next year. So so even essential people are getting now laid off because of this. And meanwhile, it's an entirely healthy population. Um, you know, you could look at the numbers any way you want to, but sure. there's no there's no question that the coronavirus has been very survivable. Um, you could argue that it's worse than the flu, but mm. it's you know it's definitely in the same category. And yet they've never told churches that they can't be open during flu season. They've right. never uh, told uh, 40 million people that they're not allowed to leave their home mm. and go to work unless they're so-called essential. Uh, I mean, it's, well, and then it's you've, got, you've also got the crazy. story of the, these, these uh, council members and the L.A. City Council saying, well, we don't want police, but we're going to have the guards for ourselves anyway. I mean, it's really, it's like Snowball and Napoleon. They fatten themselves up, but they don't want the people to be protected. Well, I mean, it, it is an incredible thing that in a place like California, you're not allowed to own guns, and they're defunding the police at the same time. It, it was quite, I mean, a lot of eyebrows got raised in Los Angeles when they locked down the entire population of California, everyone in Los Angeles was stuck in their homes, not allowed to leave. And they closed gun stores. So well, there was while these, debate on, there was such a debate on that too, wasn't there about whether to shut it down or not? I don't know if it was a debate. I think it was a, a lot of people just flabbergasted mm -hmm. that the a government was imposing such crazy craziness on the citizens mm -hmm. And at the same time, they weren't being allowed to buy guns to defend themselves. Uh, I mean, that that was uh, that was an uh, incredible thing to watch to hear them talk about defunding the police. And and my my favorite thing that my Democrat friends always say is, well, defunding the police doesn't mean defunding the police. Huh. You know, which which if if you want to get yourself sucked into the world's worst argument, say that to me because <laughs> I will run circles around you and, and I will take mm -hmm. the time to talk through what you just said. <laughs> it's, what? you know, and, and, and then I'll, I'll also be happy to pull up the politicians who yeah. are defunding the police who have not only said that they are in fact defunding the police, but that they want the police dismantled. Uh, right. And so when you ask if California might go red, uh, first of all, I'm not a Republican. <laughs> right. Okay? okay. I don't even have a dog in this hunt, but I believe it's inevitable just because of stuff like that. You know, if if you're telling the people that they can't own guns to defend themselves and that the police are going to be defunded, well, who's going to answer the 911 calls? And everyone's watching this. You know, this this isn't – you can tell me that defunding the police doesn't mean defund the police, but everyone's watching this happen. It is what it is. David, am I wrong to want to, like, padlock our backyard gate here in New York because some crazy could actually try and come in and do some stuff? Well, you, you tell me because New York has been in the news lately because of mm -hmm. the increase in crime. Uh, so what, what are you seeing in New York? Well, so I don't know. I, I haven't been seeing the crime per se, but we did see the fireworks. We heard them. We, it's just crazy. But what I'm seeing on the news is that there were 42 shootings. What I saw on 4th of July, what I saw on 4th of July near the fireworks up on the Empire State Building, I saw the police not really there. 
to, to maintain crowd control. And to me, that was like every 4th of July. They block off streets. I don't care where it's shut off. They block off the streets. Yet it was almost like a regular night in New York on Independence Day with really no one there. But still, you can walk the streets as if you could walk the streets. And I was like, I've never not seen a display, no matter where it is, not be protected. And I'm going to share the story. I haven't really publicly yet. Dad and I were asked by a homeless person if we could give him some food. They got a little greedy and asked for money when my dad wanted to give food. Well, I kind of made sure that homeless person didn't turn around and do something. And this is sad to me, David, because I have a lot of faith, as you probably know, in humanity. I want to believe. I want to know the best in people. But on the ground, in real life, you just don't know anymore, especially when there are no cops in blue protecting us. Well, well, listen, uh, in my second book, What Lies Above the Clouds, I talk about dialing 911 in Los Angeles. This is five years ago, mm. and they didn't answer the phone. That's, that's before they defunded the police. So the police were probably inadequate five years ago uh, to really protect you. And if they're defunding them, I can only imagine how much worse that's going to get. And by the way, we've seen 272 at least officers start retirement process early uh, here in New York, which is just mind. It's it's disturbing. It's I, I get where they're coming from, though. Who would want to be part of this anymore if you're a police well, officer you, right now? You tell me how it was for the riots with you. I, I know I personally know people in Los Angeles, uh, even Democrats who were in favor of the riots. Mm-hmm. Uh their experience of the riots was a nightmare Mm. and they were exasperated. They were literally cowering in their homes with no way to protect their family. Uh, The police had abandoned the streets uh, in certain areas and there was nothing to stop the bad guys. And they were literally defenseless. You know, here they are, you know, uh, faithful, loyal Democrats who've done everything right. And yet, they had no weapons in their house. They had right. no way to defend themselves, and there were no police. Um, and I, I watched the video, the the live news uh, video of the sure. riots in Los Angeles, and I, and the first thought I had was, if you have a heart attack in that neighborhood, while the criminals are literally ruling and barricading the streets and burning the cop cars, if you have a heart attack in that neighborhood. How would an ambulance or a fire truck get to your apartment building? Uh, and I'll bet you they couldn't get there. David, did like you that. see? Well, did you see videos? They literally stopped police from going to a home that needed help. This was how crazy. And this is where, see, there are peaceful protesters. But then I thought the good people wouldn't start saying defund the police. They turned the good protest into something very cynical and sinister, actually, in my opinion. But. David, how is how's your Hollywood community? Because you are in Hollywood, right? So you are in TV. You do the Emmy Award winning show, Deadliest Catch. Um, you're in it. You're in sort of the blue area of, of society, which is Hollywood. But I'm sure you have a lot of people in that society now saying, what the heck is going on? Celebrities aside, maybe yes. just the people you work with. Yes, I, I find that uh, my Democrat friends uh, in Hollywood, uh, over the years, they've always laughed at me. You know, because they think I support President Trump or they think I don't support Black Lives Matter or whatever their, you know, popular mm-hmm. causes of the day. And I think when the riots came to Hollywood, I think 
they were a little bit shocked mm. at how dangerous it immediately became and uh, the level of lawlessness that took over. Right. Um, I, I think it was a real, I think the riots were a real eye opener for, for a lot of people who um, on Facebook, they would say, look, I support BLM, but my goodness, what, what just happened on my street was a nightmare. Uh, and, and so I, I find that over the years, my Democrat friends, you know, will sometimes ask me, how, how do you buy a gun? I'm sure they do. And, uh, of course, they can't really admit that in public, but I'm glad that they talked to you about it. I don't know if they do or if they don't, but I, but I get those questions. Well, and Everybody um, wants the best for the people, right? There's only a handful that want chaos. And, unfortunately, somehow leadership's li- listening to that handful. I don't understand it. It's, it's okay to have a belief, you know, like uh, in California is run by Democrats and they believe that no one should have a gun. Uh, but then when you're faced with a situation where there are no police and there's no help for you and there's bad guys around your building, you know, potentially lighting the building on fire. Um, when you are when you get caught in that situation, especially if you have a family and, you know, children to protect uh, and you have no way to defend them or to protect them. I think your attitude towards certain things like guns can immediately change. And like I said, I've, I've had some of my Democrat friends over the years, yeah. you know, who would argue about guns, you know, cause they hate them and thinks no one should have one. But then, then they'll ask mm-hmm. me, well, what kind of gun do you have? And how do you get right. guns? Because they've suddenly gotten caught in a situation where they needed one and didn't have one. And and that can Mm -hmm. really change your mind about a lot of things. David, I I love that we're having this talk right now because I got to ask you, do you think the liberal party and I don't mean everyday Democrats that probably won't good for the country. I mean, leadership that says they're for the Democrats, but they are losing the fact that these people are people and business people. You know what I mean? Like, I think the liberal leadership is losing the idea and forgetting that they're actually human beings that need to work that support them. And they don't think it that way. Um, like they're not recognizing the humanity of supporters of their party right now. I just think that, you know, in the case of California, when you tell 40 million people, they're not allowed to go to work. Um, that is a devastating blow to everyone who lives in California mm-hmm. and you, you show me someone who argues for the, in favor of the coronavirus lockdown and I'll show you someone who doesn't need the money. Mm. Uh, but, but like you, to your point, then there's the rest of us who have mm-hmm. to eat. And I feel terrible for people who live paycheck to paycheck who haven't been able to earn a paycheck in three months. Um, I hope that they're able to make ends meet. I mean, this this literally is is like an economic depression yeah. that has has been uh, ordered by the government in California, and uh, there's no there's no way to sugarcoat that. And I and I do think that people were really their eyes were opened mm. when um, the coronavirus lockdown started. They immediately started releasing criminals from jail. How funny is that? Right, right as it was starting, at, right. At the same time that they ordered the gun stores closed, so so people were opening the L.A. Times, and it would say, Governor Newsom has released four thousand criminals from prison, and the next story down it says, Oh, and the L.A. County Sheriff has padlocked 
all of the gun stores in Los Angeles at the same time. Uh, it doesn't it even matter what your it, it doesn't even matter what your your opinion of the politics are. You look at that and you go, "Wait a second, <laughs> who who's our government working for?" Right, right. Well, and I I totally agree. So, would you say that most of the unemployment has come from California? Is that where the millions are, or do you think it's New York too? Oh, uh, my my belief is that it's millions of people in California alone. Forty million people were locked down in a population that was basically healthy, uh, and there's there's no way that you can massage the numbers of coronavirus to make that make any sense. Right. Um, you know, locking down the healthy population of working age people who, by and large, do not suffer from coronavirus in the name of coronavirus. Uh, the numbers, the numbers of coronavirus cases and deaths in California do not support this kind of uh, economic hardship uh, to tell people they can't work or eat for, David, for three to four months. I'm sure you're very relieved you got to do Deadliest Catch before all this craziness went down, right? I mean, you probably were very relieved to get that working. Well, I, I just – it's like a storm, that has come come upon us and um you know if you lock me in my house there's there's plenty i can do i'm writing my third book so these nice. cards that you see on the wall are, are for my third book uh there's plenty that i can do i've, I've been recording my audiobooks during cool. downtime uh i can certainly you know keep myself busy but um mm. th- this has just been like a plague yeah. like a biblical plague that that has been pushed onto the shoulders of the little people, the yep. working class people, uh, you know, and, and I mean, you know, people who live paycheck to paycheck, it, yep. it, it's, it's most of us. And, and so to see that kind of crazy crushing, uh, yep. just horrible, like prison sentence put down on the average working person who did nothing wrong. Right. And then they turn, they turn on the news and they see that the, the prisons are now being emptied of criminals in the name of coronavirus. Uh, so, so when you ask if, if California might turn red, uh, I say the more of those things that they do, the more they guarantee it will happen. I wonder if New York's going to turn red sometime again, because I think we're tired of our leadership here as well. Hey, David, you know what's also going on in your, your neck of the woods out there is this cancel culture has hit people like Ellen DeGeneres, has hit people like Jimmy Kimmel and Oprah Winfrey. I mean, is there a correlation to that? Is there something underneath all this that we're not knowing about why these people are being canceled? Yeah, karma. Okay. So if you're part of the cancel culture, uh, it's just a matter of time before they get to you. Mm. And, um, you know, Jimmy Kimmel has been hyper political. Yeah. Uh, yep. And uh, didn't he declare that like Trump voters were uh, some kind of horrible, deplorable people or something? Well, that was, you know, and he's, he called us half deplorable, you know? Yeah. Jimmy Kimmel did it too. And, and I don't remember his exact words, but, uh, you know, he's talking about half of his audience probably. Yeah. No, <laughs> and so. So when that snake turns around and bites Jimmy Kimmel, uh, it is what it is, and it's uh, it's karma. It's it's comical. It's ironic. Um, but uh, you know, if if you support people being canceled, you know, 
it's just it's just a matter of time before someone cancels you. Wow, that is um, that is so true. Hey, David, I I um, I mean, I know that you won't ever be canceled, but I gotta ask, uh, how is it you can post so fearlessly about Trump? And do you think it's that honesty you have that leads people to want you to still work? Because at least you're not being a sugarcoater. At least you're being honest with your feelings on him. Um. I would say that's how I live. I, I live that way. So, you know, the first question people always ask is, why do I do dangerous things? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my second book, I took on an organized crime ring that had set up shop at a school bus stop. And that's not a smart thing to do. Uh, and it's a risky thing to do. But it is how I choose to live. I, I believe that life is very short. None of us mm-hmm. are guaranteed an, another sunrise. And so do I do I want to look back on today and say, oh, man, I I really should have done the right thing or I really should have spoken the truth. Uh, No, I I, you know, prefer to live exactly how I want to live every day that I'm alive. And if that means speaking the truth on Facebook, it means speaking the truth on Facebook. Um, (laughs) I I think as far as my political views, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I love the topic of Donald Trump. I think it's the mm-hmm. best topic there is. Uh, but I don't really have a huge opinion up or down for Democrats or Republicans. And uh, and I'm always happy to bring up any subject. Uh, and the, if it's controversial mm-hmm. and people feel strongly about it, you know, a lot of Democrats know <laughs> That they can only talk about these topics on my Facebook because nobody else will bring it up and nobody will ever argue with them the way I do. So, And they they love it. They live for that every day. David, I got to ask you this too and got to give you a shout out. Um, Not only do you post your views, you're a very thankful person. Like almost every post you tag people and say thank you for your support. And I never really see anybody else do that on our feeds. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, to be honest with you, I think people don't understand social media. And I think that, um, this is such a precious moment in the history of the human race, uh, that, that you and I have the power to reach millions of people with our phone. Yeah. Uh, and, and free apps on our phones. And uh, most, you know, that's never happened before. And most right. people don't have the social skills. I, I now have, this may shock my Facebook friends, I now have mm-hmm. over 400,000 uh, followers on different wow. social media. Awesome, and I man. can, assu- well, uh, thank you. And I can assure you that most people don't have the social skills to talk to 400,000 people. And it's not necessarily easy, uh, but it, it's an incredible time to be alive mm. because, um, you know, one of the reasons that I'm on social media, the reason I have 400,000 followers mm-hmm. is because of that organized crime ring. These are people who get away with murder and I watch them do it and they did it at a school bus stop. And for whatever reason, I came across this and I wasn't willing to let go of it. Uh, and I didn't until things were set right. Mm. And, uh, and that's why I'm on social media is because I know that the bigger crowd I draw, the more support I will have to set things right uh, in a situation like that. And uh, and I don't I don't quit. I never give up. You never quit. No, nope. I never you lose never. sight of that goal. And and from the second I saw criminal activity at the school bus stop, I knew 
that I wouldn't quit until it was gone. And I knew that it would be gone and I would still be there. And mm. so social media and having a huge crowd of people who become aware of the story by reading my books uh, right. and and willing to, to make a statement about it, call their congressmen, call the FBI, say that, that these things should be set right and that no children should ever have to suffer that kind of criminal behavior right. at a school bus stop. Uh, you know, that's, that's a goal that I'll, I'll hang on to until I get it. And social media gives, gives all of us the power to, to right wrongs like that. And, uh, and I think you're doing a, a great job. Speaking of social media, where can people find the video of you top Mount Rushmore? Cause I think you posted a link, didn't you? You can find it on uh, YouTube. So if you can find me on any social media, just look for my name, David Allen Arnold. Uh, if you go to my YouTube, you'll see the president's airplane flying around Mount Rushmore. You'll see the Blue Angels. Uh, if you go to any, if whatever you like, if you like Instagram, I'm on Instagram. If you like Twitter, I'm on Twitter. If you like mm-hmm. Facebook, I'm on Facebook. And and most of those platforms, you just look for my name, David Allen Arnold, A-L-A-N, uh, and you can find that stuff. So what what can we do to use our platform even better than we are right now? Um, I, I think, you know, speaking the truth is the most powerful thing and it's what draws a crowd. You talk about Hollywood. Yeah. I guarantee you there are people in Hollywood who are drawn to me simply because I say the truth. I'm not rude to people. Uh, I, I don't pull any punches about politics or political correctness. Uh, but I'm always very kind to people and I speak the truth and people crave that. So, so over the years, <clears throat> the people, yeah. you know, if I got 3,000 comments about mm-hmm. President Trump on my Facebook picture that I posted, uh, you know, half of those are from Democrats mm-hmm. and half of those Democrats are closer to me today than they were two years ago when That's I posted amazing. that picture. That's amazing. And, and I, I find that over time, uh, you know, there there was one Democrat friend of mine who on Facebook, he kept posting swastikas and his comments about Trump. And I warned him repeatedly. I said, I, that's the only thing I don't let on my Facebook is you can say your opinion, but I, I can't let you post swastikas on my Facebook because, you know, 10 million people were murdered under right. that flag. Correct. And he kept doing it. So I blocked him. And, and he has since then, he has sought me out on other social media because I don't know if it's that no one ever argues with him about politics or no one ever says certain things that he knows are true. It's, it's just weird how someone who, who would appear to be your enemy mm-hmm. politically would actually be drawn to you over the years. And, and so that guy comments regularly on my, on my Instagram posts and he asks questions and I'm glad he's there, you know, and I, I it kind of saddens me that he's not on my Facebook anymore. <laughs> hey David, what, uh, what do you think it is that bring Democrats closer to you and, are able to break through and have that dialogue with you. What is it that you do that others could do too? Oh, I, I don't know if I have any advice on that. I I just live the way I live. Like I said, I'm not a Democrat, not a Republican. Uh, there's plenty of arguments on my Facebook over political stuff. Yep, I've seen it. But I, I treat everyone like human beings. I if I see something's wrong, you know, if I if I see people, you know, burglarizing and burning people in the streets, I'm gonna say so. And I don't care if that you know affects your politics, uh, or what's even more likely is I'm going to ask you a question about it. Hey, David, I, I think your fans want to know, and I don't know if I've ever asked you this, 
how did you get into flying and doing what you do today? Like it's your, it's not only your love, it's your passion, it's your your job, but it's also something you really are loving too. So how'd you get into flying? I I got into flying because uh, when I got out of high school, I skipped college, and I uh, I just started working, and. At the time, I lived in a small town in Florida, but I knew that I wanted to work in entertainment, mm. you know, television and film. And so I went to any company in my little town that had anything to do with television or film. And I would knock on their doors about every two weeks and I would offer mm. to work for free. Wow. And one of those companies said, Will you please quit coming around here? You don't work here. Quit coming here and offering to work. And and I said, oh, okay, I'm sorry. And I, I scratched that company off my list. I won't bother you guys again. And three weeks later, uh, the vice president of that company called me. And uh, he called me. And I guess he had heard about this crazy kid who kept coming to the building, even though he doesn't work here, and asking for work. And so, so he gets on the phone and he goes, uh, listen. One of my guys is quitting, so I got to hire someone. And he goes, I could hire someone from Hollywood or New York from the movie business with a long credit resume. Uh, but he said, I, I like local people. And uh, he said, he asked me a bunch of questions. I was just this crazy puzzle to him of, of uh-huh. who was this crazy kid who kept knocking on their door every two weeks and offering to work for free. And he said, you know, would, would you like to interview for this job? <laughs> I said, sure, let's do it. And that was when I found out that unbeknownst to me, his company had changed and had become mm. specialized to only do helicopter cameras. Wow. And I didn't, I didn't know that about them. And so for me, aviation was this crazy, scary thing. I had no interest in it. Uh, but he he offered to let me interview for the job, and I thought about it, and I thought, well, yeah, <laughs> okay, I'll do it, you know. And I, and I, it it still looked scary to me, but I I was willing to try it, and I just decided I I would go to work there and work really hard, and not complain, and uh, put my best foot forward, and uh, and I did. And what I found was that. Um, even at a company like that, that's very technical. If you don't even know what you're doing, but you're nice to people and yeah. you work hard and you don't complain. I, I once in my first year, I once slept in a cargo truck. Mm. Someone at the company had screwed up the shipping. So they had sent, sent the equipment to the wrong state or something like that. So next thing I know, I'm in the back of a cargo truck. Picture a cube truck full of shipping cases and I'm sitting on top of the shipping cases and we're literally driving across the country. And we drove all night. We got there. The door rolled up. I took the cases out. I built the equipment uh, and uh, got everything ready and the, the equipment broke. So I you know, soldered wires and fixed everything and got everything ready so that they could have their shoot on time, even though the shipping had been totally screwed up. And... Um, at the end of that shoot, uh, one of the producers came over and he said, David, uh, you know, uh, we've been talking about you and hmm. we want you to know that we have these uh, areas in our company, our production company, that you could work. You could work wow. for us doing this. You could work for us doing that. And uh, I, I mentioned that to my boss. I said, I said, would you believe they offered me a job? 
And uh, he goes, yeah, I know. And, and I go, what do you mean you know? We, we had this huge catastrophe. Uh, the shipping was all screwed up. Everything got delayed. All these problems. Even the camera broke, you know, when I tried to build it. And, and he, he said something that took my breath away. And he goes, Dave, they know that you worked all night wow. to make this show happen. And you didn't say a word to anyone. And he said, listen, everything they do breaks around here. <laughs> everything goes wrong. <laughs> he, said, he said what they want are people who won't complain, uh, who won't bitch about that the shipping got sure. screwed up and it's not your fault, but who will simply pitch in and fix it or make it better and do the best you can and not complain and make a big stink over it. And he said, that's what they want to have around them year after year while they're making all these movies and TV shows and wow. stuff. David, I think and every so that, company... That was every, how I started flying. <laughs> every company wants that, though. Someone who will be able to just work and not have that complaining gene. Do you still get the butterflies, though, when you go up in an aircraft like this in a helicopter or whatever you might fly? It is always an adventure. It, it is always a spectacular, <laughs> breathtaking adventure whether we're flying next to the president while he circles Mount Rushmore in his 747 or whether I'm in a helicopter hovering next to the crab boats as they're crashing through storm waves on the deadliest Mm. catch. Uh, It's always an incredible uh, adventure of a lifetime every, every day that I go to work. That is beautiful. And I got to ask you one other update because I know you were vocal about it. You actually had people chip in. How's your son doing? How's that whole thing gone? How is How's your relationship with him? It's going really well. Uh, the, the one great thing about them locking down California is they closed all the schools. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, it is, uh, I'm sure my son will never forget this year as long as he lives because we've literally been together every day that wow. I have him. And uh, so they're, they're talking about canceling next year's school as well, where he goes to school and doing online only. And I couldn't be more thrilled because we just spent so much time together. And yeah, in answer to your question, uh, I had posted on Facebook that I was having an issue and I was being dragged into court and told I couldn't see my son anymore. And um, we got a great outcome in court. The judge left everything as is said I could still have time with him. And uh, and I'm I'm always pushing for I want equal time with my little one and that's that's mm. all I've ever asked for. How old? But yeah, is he life now? life is very good right now. How old is he now? He's ten years old. Oh yeah, that's a great age to, to you know mold him into the man I guess you want him to be. So. Well, we've we've talked about all this stuff about work. Uh, that's my favorite job to this day. Oh. It's literally my favorite job is being a dad, and I just live for it, and I I love every second that my son and I spend together Mm. and uh, it's just uh, it it is the most rewarding uh, part of my life and it just makes me so happy I I just love every second I've I've never my son is 10 years old I've never missed a day with him there's there's never anything that I would rather do than than spend a day with with my little one David Allen Arnold, I am very grateful that we are friends. I love our connection. I think we sync up on a lot of different things, and it's cool when we talk. It's like just that that uh, that synchronicity, that spark is there in this friendship, and I really love that. 
God bless you. I, I love your energy, and I, I always enjoy all the stuff that you post on social media, and I love all your pictures of just traveling around New York City. I mean, you're basically my news of New York wow. is the things that you tell me and the things that you post on social media that, that show me the da- daily life of New York I City. I try to. Anyway, I, that, that's one of my favorite parts of the city. Hey, David, man, I love you, brother, and we will talk to you yeah, soon. Yeah, I love you too. And uh, Thank you so let's much. Let's do this again, all right? Anytime. Thank thank you so much. I always enjoy talking to you and, and God bless you with everything you're doing and all of your positive energy. Uh, I'm a big fan of yours and I wish you Godspeed. Well, thank you so much, David. I am Alex Gare and we will talk to you soon.